One more Arab country is moving closer to establishing relations with Israel, and a major shift in regional politics is getting closer. In a recent interview with Fox News, Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman was asked about a prospective deal to establish relations, and this was his answer. When uh, there is approach from uh, President Biden administration to get to that point, uh, for us, the Palestinian issue is very important. We need to solve that part, and we have a good negotiation. It's continue till now. We're going to see where it will go. We hope that it will reach a place that it will uh, ease the life of the Palestinians and uh, get Israel back, uh, uh, as a player in the Middle, uh, Middle East. Saudi Arabia's establishing relations with Israel would mean the expansion of the Abraham Accords that was signed three years ago with the U.S. as a broker and normalized relations between Israel and the UAE and Bahrain. Morocco and Sudan have since joined. Israel has long sought to establish ties with Saudi Arabia, but the kingdom has said formal ties are conditioned upon progress in resolving the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Riyadh wants to ensure some benefits to the Palestinians are secured. The Biden administration is committed to normalize relations between both countries and has for several months been in talks on the matter. Senior U.S. officials have been shuttling between the Saudis and Israelis, while Saudi officials are working closely with the Palestinian officials on parts of the wider deal. Over the past few years, we've witnessed a series of breakthroughs in Israeli normalization with Arab and Muslim states. But how did the Arab-Israeli relations really change? And what could this mean for the Palestinians? This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm Ismail Na'ar, Arab Affairs Editor at The National, and this week we'll dissect the key milestones, examine the driving forces behind these shifts, and discuss the implications for regional stability, trade, and the broader peace process. But before we start, if you want to get all the latest episodes as soon as they come out, then just hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast. The children of Abraham the descendants of Isaac and Ishmael have embarked together on a bold journey. Together, today, with all our hearts and all our souls, we bid them shalom, salam, peace. Recent history has witnessed many rapprochement attempts between Arabs and Israelis. 30 years ago, a series of agreements were signed in 1993 to establish a framework for the peaceful resolution of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and led to the creation of the Palestinian Authority. It was known as the Oslo Accords. The President of the United States, the Prime Minister of the State of Israel and His Highness, the Minister of Foreign Affairs and International Cooperation of the United Arab Emirates, will sign a treaty of peace diplomatic relations, and full normalization. And more recently, three years ago, the Abraham Accords were signed and led to a significant shift in regional geopolitics. And it seems more pacts and deals would continue to take place with Israel in the region. These days, there's been an increase in high-level visits by the Biden administration to Riyadh to hash out a deal with the Saudis on possibly getting them to formalize ties with the Israelis. Saudi Arabia has appointed its first envoy to Palestine, Naif bin Bender al-Sideri, as a non-resident ambassador. Around the same time, Israel's tourism minister, Haim Katz, landed in Saudi Arabia for a UN event, becoming the first Israeli minister to lead an official delegation. But the three parties of US, Saudi Arabia, and Israel have their own list of interests and preconditions before they sign any final deal. 
We spoke to Saudi political analyst Ahmed Al Ibrahim, who said Riyadh is willing to keep negotiating for the long haul until it gets its best win-win scenario. Riyadh is not really desperate in any way possible um, to do something like this that it's not going to basically interrupt um, anything. The status quo uh, throughout history between the GCC and Israel has been uh, almost stable. Um, Opening up, zeroing our issues with the countries surrounding the whole regional uh, players in the region, it's definitely going to give us a a move forward. Um, It's going to basically stabilize things. Everything that we've done, it comes with a cost. And this cost has to be paid from the both parties. Whether we are normalized with Iran, um, it has to come with a cost. Uh, zeroing our problem and cease a fire with Yemen, it is comes with give and take, and also with Israel. There is no freebies in this region. The GCC countries are not really in a position uh, to do something extra that, rather than only. Uh, look after their interest and their people interest. We are uh, we don't have any agenda within the region to um, or long term agenda to disrupt any nation within the you know the country surrounding. So by Israel coming to the to to to, to this part of the world and Israel is a Middle Eastern countries and they share the same challenges we do share. I think it's going to be an add on. Saudi Arabia has been seeking security guarantees, including a defense pact with the United States in return for normalizing with Israel. For the Americans, Barbara Leaf, U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for Near Eastern Affairs, told The National last month that a deal was highly complex, but a hugely significant strategic objective for the Biden administration. It is very much uh, a strategic objective, obviously, uh, for the U.S., for Saudi Arabia. The Crown Prince spoke to that very clearly yesterday and for uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu. So the strategic objective is is set, it's clear. Um, And it's a sort of a a consonance of uh, of strategic desire among the three countries. But at this point, it's also worth asking, how far could Israel go for peace? For that, I've spoken with former Israeli intelligence officer Avi Melamed, who had a theory of why there's been a lot of movements in that regard lately. The answer is very simple. It's called China. You know, uh, once China broke this Saudi-Iranian agreement uh, a couple of months ago, that was a big uh, shock for the American administration. The agreement with Iran that was broken by China was a, was a kind of like a very significant wake-up call to the American administration. And and that was the major thing that actually boosts this whole process uh, that that we see today. There are other things involved, but this was a major uh, milestone uh, in the trajectory of the relation. And in fact, you could see that following the agreement, there has been a positive turn or a positive shift uh, in the relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia. Um, And as you mentioned accurately, just the last couple of months, I've stopped stopped counting how many times American officials have been going to Saudi Arabia and basically sending a very nice messages about Saudi Arabia relationship with the United States. But the myriad of issues continue to be obstacles in allowing for Saudi-Israeli normalization, particularly Saudi commitment to being as fair to the Palestinians as possible, 
based on the Tuesday solution and the Arab Peace Initiative that Riyadh proposed during the Arab Summit in Beirut in 2002. However, it appears this is a tall order for the current Israeli government. We asked Avi if the current right-wing coalition government under Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is willing and ready to make peace. Look, everyone in the current Israeli government will say, yeah, we want peace. The issue is that they have different perspective on that peace and they have different uh, conditions. The, the right wing, the, the, the dogmatic right wing component in this government, which is currently uh, the most substantial element with this government for, for a very simple reason, that though this is an element that is representing a very small group in Israeli politics, that element, that, that camp, has an enormous political power because that camp actually gave Netanyahu the, 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 the forum or the majority that he needed in order to assemble a government. Netanyahu is dependent upon them for his political um, survival. Um, and as you know, Netanyahu is facing significant uh, uh, charges in, at court. Um, he may be inducted and maybe even imprisoned if he will, will find guilty. Um, so Netanyahu established this government with these partners. Uh, and basically today, that component in the government, the, the dogmatic uh, right-wing circle is the one that dictating the way. Now, they are very clear in their stance. They basically say, we oppose the concept of two-state solution. We uh, think that Israel should annex the Palestinian territories, uh, that Israel will uh, build more settlements in uh, the West Bank. Uh, there are even more dogmatic voices within that camp that even say, we think that Israel should go back to Gaza. Uh, so in, in, so you, when you look at that component in the government and you look at the political configuration, Netanyahu uh, could theoretically, and by the way, Netanyahu himself will be willing to do some substantial concessions in the context of the Palestinian, to the best of my evaluation, he will be doing that, despite of the rhetoric. In fact, the momentum seems to be growing. But it's not just about formalizing diplomatic relations for the sake of diplomacy. Much like Morocco required the recognition of the Western Saharan Desert as its territory, Saudi Arabia has been crafting its own version of a deal, which it hopes will seal a formal security pact with Washington, as well as American support for its civilian nuclear program. To put all that into context, we've got Omar al-Busayidi, an Emirati writer and non-resident fellow at Trends Research and Advisory here in Abu Dhabi. Uh, actually, there are some people that say that uh, maybe it goes beyond that as well, like, uh, you know, establishing ties. Like some people say, rather than saying normalization, it's formalization. Uh, if you remember, the UAE has always been a, um, a, a regional and global partner for, for all countries around the world. Um, uh, but they know very well due to several sensitivities. Sometimes they would have to have discussions, um, you know, in public, sometimes behind closed doors. And we know that a lot of discussions, there's always been reports about discussions taking place, for example, during United Nations uh, General Assembly or 
you know, it's, which is coming up very soon and which happens to be the place where a lot of leaders will try to meet in one central location and have discussions on the future of those relationships. So, um, yeah, I think for the UAE, it was, uh, uh, they've always seen themselves as um, a, a regional and global player and they wanted to always have a zero problem policy towards countries all over the world. Um, the, the major focus for the leadership has always been um, peace, uh, prosperity, and uh, and 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 obviously uh, economic development for uh, the UAE itself and for the countries that they want to have a relationship with. And of course, the Palestinian issue continues to be a complex and sensitive aspect of this ongoing story. While some argue that the Abraham Accords could potentially sideline the Palestinian cause, others see it as an opportunity for renewed dialogue and negotiations. The question of how this all plays out in the broader context of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict remains a topic of intense debate. As part of the agreement, Israel said it would suspend its plans to annex occupied Palestinian territories, a promise that was very important to the UAE, as they stated in their commitment to a two-state solution, throwing their unshakable support behind the Palestinian cause. To get the Palestinian perspective, we spoke to Manal Zaidan, a Palestinian consultant on building state institutions. Manal also served for a time as an official with former Palestinian Prime Minister Salam Fayyad's office on how the Abraham Accords are being seen by the government and the Palestinian street. Um, I think on the leadership level, what we're seeing is a tactical shift um, that, you know, okay, we missed out on, on some gains in the previous round. So why not try to find a way to, uh, you know, reposition ourselves and maybe get something instead of getting nothing since normalization is moving anyways, whether it's formalized or, you know, the gradual slow process of normalization. That's, you know, what's been described as creeping normalization. The deal wanted to secure more peace for the region and its people. The signing countries of the Abraham Accords said the agreement does not change their view of the peace process. They remain committed to the Arab plan of a negotiated two-state solution, with East Jerusalem as the capital of an independent Palestinian state. As part of that as well, Israel said it will hold all annexation of Palestinian territories in exchange for establishing diplomatic ties. So how did the Palestinians see that? Um, as far as the population and as far as the people, um, there's, of course, there's still a lot of uh, rejection for any type of normalization until there are substantive Palestinian gains in the process. But also I've noticed a shift in attitudes when it comes to, for example, the UAE within the past three years from like extreme anger and extreme feeling of betrayal to now people are more, you know, like, no, the, the, the UAE is still very uh, involved in Palestinian issues. They still vote, you know, the, the right way as far as we're concerned. They're still very involved on the ground, supporting startups, supporting, uh, you know, wanting to rebuild Hawara, which was amazing. Um, so there is that shift on the popular level, but still without substantive tangible results for the Palestinians, without progress uh, uh, in, uh, you know, advancing Palestinian rights and national aspirations, the people are still, you know, not comfortable with the idea of normalization. And more recently, the narrative from Palestinians may look like it's shifting as it tries to play an active role in any future deal the Saudis may sign on with the Israelis. Just last month, sources confirmed to The National that a high-level delegation from the Palestinian Authority were in Riyadh alongside three U.S. State Department officials to discuss the future deal behind closed doors. Menel Zaidan says it's high time that the Palestinians play an active role themselves. I would suggest an internal, starting an internal Palestinian process. 
developing our vision of what we want and what we desire, um, developing uh, an agenda, a program, uh, not only that that's politically uh, uh, that can uh, develop, you know, that can get, uh, you know, generate consensus among uh, as many Palestinians as possible. So, in a sense, we should take the initiative. We should develop internal consensus and a political program, as well as something substantive, not only a political requests that, for the most part, are not going to get realized. Our leadership needs to be encouraged to take that step and uh, start this internal project uh, process. L listen, I can't. Uh, an empowered UAE and empowered Saudi Arabia is in the benefit of the Palestinian people. So. Uh, the interest of Saudi Arabia, the interest of the UAE, their security, regional security uh, priorities are um, also need to be uh, taken into consideration. As I said, an empowered Gulf, an empowered Arab Gulf is a, a benefit in the benefit of the Palestinians. But also the Palestinian issue is empowering two Arab states as far as their negotiating position. And they need to get out of the negotiating negotiations as much as they're giving in. And we can make it into a win for everyone, even moderate Israelis as well, who want peace. So this groundbreaking agreement has opened doors to new possibilities and opportunities for peace and cooperation in the Middle East. Now, as we look ahead, there's one question on everyone's mind. What's next for the Abraham Accord? The potential for Saudi Arabia to follow in the footsteps of the Abraham Accords is surely the next hotly anticipated step, and there are many signs now of how fast things are moving. Saudi Arabia, along with other regional players, will likely prioritize finding concessions from the Israelis to the long-standing Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said that normalizing relations with Saudi Arabia is a priority for his government and that such a development would be a quantum leap forward and change history. But the question remains whether his current government is ready for necessary compromises in order to sign a deal where every party, including the Palestinians, comes out with a win for themselves. Thanks this week to Saudi political analyst Ahmed Al-Ibrahim, Emirati writer Omar Al-Busaidi, former Israeli intelligence officer Avi Melamed, and former Palestinian official and consultant Manal Zaydan. We were produced this week by Phil Green, Arthur Edison, and Dua Farid. I'm Ismail Na'ar, and if you want to get every episode of Beyond the Headlines as soon as they're released, then just subscribe in your podcast app. And if you can leave us a rating and review while you're there, it makes all the difference.